We meet today in Philippians chapter 4, looking at verse 1 to verse 7, looking at the power for Christian living. That is the main theme of this chapter, the power for Christian living. We have already seen the philosophy of Christian living, the pattern for Christian living, the prize for Christian living. And now we see the power for Christian living. All the others would be meaningless and useless if there is no power to carry them out. You see, a pattern is no good unless there is power supplied to have that pattern in our lives. A prize is no good if we cannot achieve the goal. A philosophy is no good unless there is power to carry it out. Therefore, power is all important. I would think one of the reasons that the Spirit of God did not let Paul end this epistle when he wrote in verse 1 of chapter 3, Finally, my brethren, was because he wanted to let us know today that there is power for Christian living. We need to know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We will find in this chapter that joy is the source of power, prayer is the secret of power, and contemplation of Christ is the sanctuary of power. In today's study, we are looking at joy as the source of power and prayer as that secret of power. First of all, joy, the source of power. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. You see, the Philippians were his present joy as he received favorable reports of their spiritual growth. They were advancing in their walk with God. And their presence with Christ at his return would be his future crown when Christ comes to reward his servants. The word crown mentioned here is the wreath of victory or celebration. My joy and crown means that they were going to be in the presence of Christ someday and Paul expected to receive a crown for winning these people to the Lord. Also, they were his joy down here. Oh, my friend, can you say that? Do you rejoice? Do you even look forward to coming in the presence of Christ and even have people there? And Christ says, you see, these are here because you shared the good news with them. They are your crown. They are your joy. And to have those people even testify to say, I am here in heaven. I am here before the presence of Christ because you cared enough. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. As Paul said to the Ephesian believers, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Paul is using the same word to encourage them. The Christian faith will produce stability of life. I implore Yudia and I implore Sinteke to be of the same mind in the Lord. 
Philippians 4, verse 2. Now, he comes to the only problem in the Philippian church. The apostle turns from his general exhortation to an application of it. And apparently two women, Judea and Sintek, are instructed to bring their attitude into harmony. Paul does not indicate which one was in the wrong, but knows that if the attitude of each would be formed in the Lord, the disharmony would, at, as soon as possible, diminish or vanish. You see, there was a ripple on the surface, but it was not serious. Paul doesn't even mention it until near the end of the letter. Apparently, these two ladies were not speaking to each other. It is significant that even in the vibrant, dynamic, first-century church, petty quarrels were threatening to disrupt fellowship. And so Paul begs, he beseeches and implores these women by name to stop their strife and urges his true companion to help the women overcome the division among them. He then focuses their minds on all they have to be thankful for in Christ Jesus and lifts their eyes from their mind-dividing, fellowship-splitting strife up to the peace and joy found in Christ Jesus. That is the subject. Even you see he talked about it in chapter 2 verse 1 to verse 5, talking of like-mindedness. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Philippians 4, verse 3. It is apparent that women occupied a prominent place in the early church, and for a woman, to be prominent was unusual in that day. But Paul here plainly said that these women labored with me in the gospel. Paul described Judea and Sintic as having labored with him in the gospel. His choice of words is very significant. Elsewhere he affirmed other women who helped with the spread of the gospel in Romans chapter 16 verse 12. Paul doesn't tell us about the exact nature of these women's work, but he hints at the effectiveness of their ministry. He was eager to have them settle their disputes, probably because it crippled their work with others. Women also played a major part in Jesus' life and work, and apparently there was a great company of believers in Philippi whose names are in the book of life particularly of the women who were laborers with him. That was the important thing. Their names are in the book of life, and they worked for the Savior. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Philippians 4, verse 4. From his previous exhortation to unity and from his attempt to correct a case of disunity, Paul proceeds to exhort the church to maintain certain positive Christian virtues. 
first, believers are to rejoice in the Lord always and again to rejoice. Now, this is a commandment to a Christian, a believer. It, this is not a commandment to someone who is not in the faith. Rejoice in the Lord always. That means regardless of the day, whether it is dark or bright, whether it is difficulty or easy, whether it brings problems and temptations or clear sailing on clouds nine, rejoice in the Lord. We are commanded to rejoice. And he repeats it. In case we missed it the first time, again I say, rejoice. You see, my friend, joy is something we cannot produce ourselves. It is a fruit of the Spirit of God. So when we are commanded to rejoice, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God so we can rejoice in our circumstances. Paul was certainly full of the Spirit of God. There is no power in a Christian's life if he has no joy. One who does not experience the joy of the Lord has no power of it all. Remember, after Nehemiah had finished building the walls of Jerusalem, the people set up a pulpit at the water gate. By the way, the water gate was where the word of God was preached. And there Ezra read from the scriptures from morning until midday. These people had come out of the captivity in Babylon. Most of them had never in their lives heard the word of God. It overwhelmed them. They began to mourn and to weep. So Nehemiah said, wait a minute, you are not to weep. This is a great day, friends. You are not to share. You are to share in the blessings, the physical blessings that God has given to you. And God wants you to enjoy them. God has given to us richly all things to enjoy. And to enjoy means to rejoice, my friend. That is your strength. That is your power. You can't be a Christian with power, without joy. And that's what gets up the steam, you see. Joy is the source of power. Whenever we work for God, we must never work for him with complaining and grumbling. It must be done joyfully. Even giving to the Lord must be done joyfully, joyfully. We must go up to the house of the Lord joyfully. I was glad when they said unto me, come, let us go to the house of the Lord. Joy, joy is the source of power. Now the world spends so much money trying to produce joy, which they call happiness. Comedians are millionaires because they tell a few funny stories. People shell out the money to hear them. Why? Because they want to laugh. They are trying to find a little happiness as they go through life. Now the child of God goes through life with a sour look and a jaundiced approach to this world. If a child of God does that, you will never have power in this life. The solution is in the word of God, and here it comes. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. So, joy is the source of power. After talking about joy as the source of power, Paul goes on to talk of prayer as the secret of power. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Philippians 4, verse 5. 
Now, the Lord is at hand. Paul believed that the Lord Jesus would come at any moment. He was not expecting to enter the great tribulation. He says the Lord is at hand. And that's quite wonderful. But when we know that the Lord is at hand, what will that do? That leads us to the most important thing, to prayer. We pray. We don't panic. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Philippians 4 verse 6 Paul's advice for anxiety is to give wings to every distraction or paralyzing worry, to turn it into prayer, anticipating even while asking a loving God's reply with thanksgiving. Believers should be prayerful instead of anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Now, this is sometimes translated, be not overly anxious. The fact of the matter is that Paul seems to be making a play upon two indefinite pronouns. Nothing and everything. It is like saying, worry about nothing, pray about everything. Prayer is the secret of power, you see. Worry about nothing. In verse 4, we were given one of the new commandments God has given us. Rejoice. Now here is another commandment. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Isn't that interesting? Nothing is a very interesting word. If you have something, it's not nothing. That is not correct grammar. But it is an accurate statement here. Nothing is nothing. And you are to worry about nothing. Does this mean that we are to look at life through rosy-colored glasses? That we are not to face reality? Are we to believe that sin is not real, that sickness is not real, that problems are not real? Are we to ignore all these things? Certainly not. Paul says that we are to worry about nothing because we are to pray about everything. Whenever something comes to us, instead of worrying about it, we pray about it. We pray to God. The reason we are to worry about nothing is because we are to pray about everything. This means that we are to talk to the Lord about everything in our lives. Nothing should be left out, you see. Everything must be brought to God in prayer. Now, let me share with you an admonition by Fenelon, one of the mystics of the Middle Ages, which seems to encompass what Paul meant when he says, pray about everything. Here is the statement. Tell God all that is in your heart, as one unloads one's heart, its pleasures and its pains, to a dear friend. Tell him your troubles, that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys, that he may sober them. Tell him your longings, that he may purify them. Tell him your dislikes, that he may help you to conquer them. Talk to him of your temptations, that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart, that he may heal them. Lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved tests for evil, your instability. 
Tell him how self-love makes you unjust to others, how vanity tempts you to be insincere, how pride disguises you to yourself as to others. If you thus pour out all your weaknesses, needs, troubles, there will be no lack of what to say. You will never exhaust the subject. It is continually being renewed. People who have no secrets from each other never want subjects of conversations. They do not weigh their words, for there is nothing to be held back. Neither do they seek for something to say. They talk out of the abundance of the heart, without consideration, just what they think. Blessed are they who attain to such familiar and reserved intercourse with God. Oh, that is appropriate. We worry about nothing. We become anxious about nothing because we tell everything to God. Isn't that amazing? The Lord wants us to trust him so that we worry about nothing. We pray about everything. I wish I could say to you that I am as free as a bird in the trees, free as the bees gathering honey. That's the way he wants us to be. But what must be our attitude with thanksgiving? Let your request be made known to God. Paul never lets prayer become a leap in the dark. No, it rests upon one foundation. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, verse 17. Prayer rests on faith, and faith rests on the word of God. Now he says that when you go to God with requests, thank him. Thank him right then and there. You can take anything to God in prayer, the big things and the little things. How can you sort them out? They are all little things to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 verse 7 Now, having given us a classic exhortation to pray, Paul attaches to it the beautiful promise that when we turn from anxiety to prayer and thanksgiving, God will give us his own peace. This peace is for those who are already at peace with God through justification by faith in Christ. Now the scripture speaks of other kinds of peace which we can understand. There is world peace. We have the assurance that someday peace will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It will come through the person of Christ, the Prince of Peace. Also, there is the peace that comes when sins are forgiven. Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then there is the peace that is tranquility. The Lord Jesus said, Peace, I live with you. My peace I give unto you. John 14, verse 27. That is a marvelous peace, but it is not the peace that surpasses all understanding. I do not know how to tell you this, but I do know it is a peace in which we do not live at all times. I think it is a peace that sweeps over our souls at certain times 
And as the Bible says, it surpasses all understanding. It will be overzealous for me to say that I understand all about it. But I can also share certain times when such peace comes to one's heart. I remember in 1991, and I stood at the Cape Point, looking ahead was the expanse of water which stretched as far as the eye could see. Behind me stood the Table Mountain with the sister range of mountains in the foreground. As I looked at the majesty of God's creation, what a peace came to me. I can't tell you what it was. It surpasses all understanding. Maybe it came simply from the realization of saying, I am in the hand of God, but it comes like a spasm. Notice that we entered this passage in anxiety, with worry, and we now come out of the passage with peace. Between the two was prayer. Have things changed? Not really. The storm may still be raging, the waves still rolling high, the thunder still resounding. Although the storm is not abated, something has happened in the individual. Something has happened to the human soul and the human mind. In our anxiety, we want God to change everything around. Give us this. Don't let this happen to us. Open up this door. We should be praying, Oh God, change me. Change me. Prayer is the secret of power. We enter with worry. We can come out in peace when we pray. Joy is the source of power. Prayer is the secret of power. The peace which comes only from God will stand guard over the believers' hearts and minds by means of Jesus Christ. And at that time, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send a WhatsApp message or SMS to plus two seven seven two six four one four four seven five. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. I'll repeat that number for you. It's country code 27 followed by 72641-4475. From within South Africa, it's 072-641-4475.